Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 This is Difference Makers. Welcome. I'm Mike Lee, director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800, now on 106.3 FM in East Portland and Vancouver, 93.9 KPDQ, AM 860 The Answer KPAM. La Patrona 1640, 93.1 El Rey, and 104.1 The Fish. And I'd love to talk with you about promoting your ministry, business, or school to thousands of people at Fish Fest from your very own booth, getting more people back into your church, sharing about your ministry through our free online church directory and our church service live stream directory, expanding your ministry or business beyond your walls, establishing yourself as an authority in your field, and becoming more known through radio, building awareness of your company or outreach by hosting our events at your location at no risk to you, marketing your message or brand directly to your target audience through the latest and most powerful online tools of Salem Surround, and most importantly, if your ministry leader or pastor could use a phone call, a word of encouragement, a cup of coffee, or a connection to others, please email me at mikelee at kpdq.com. That's M-I-K-E-L-E-E at K-P-D-Q dot com. We've got a longtime friend of our stations in the studio today. He is the owner of Agape Mortgages, which is available at 971-219-LOAN. That's 971-219-5626. And the website, agapemortgages.com. So welcome, George Elliott. How are you today, sir? Great to be here with you today. Well, first of all, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to visit us. And for those of us who might be less familiar with Agape Mortgages, can you give us your elevator pitch, please? What exactly is Agape Mortgages? Agape Mortgages is a licensed real estate finance company. We've been in business now. The name Agape has been in business since 1991 here in the Oregon area, also Washington and Colorado. But uh, we had the owner pass away, and I carried on the name through Agape Mortgages in 2011. And we're here to help people with uh, the godly Christian perspective on serving people, being careful listeners to help them decide whether refinancing or selling the home or reverse mortgage or line of credit, help people navigate through prayer with them over the phone if they wish and find the best product. I work with 24 different wholesale banks in America not accessible to the general public, we're here to pray with them and guide them into the lowest rate and then the lowest fee loans anywhere they, they might live. Oh, I love it, George. So do you have any recent success stories? Because I've heard that so much of the real estate and mortgage industry have been flipped upside down when it comes to last couple of years worth of pandemic and so many companies allowing people to work remotely that the Pacific Northwest has gotten invaded with people who actually work in other states. Yes, well, the, the beginning of the company from 1990, we went through many ups and downs, even through the 2008 crisis when home, the home values were lost, and most three out of four mortgage brokers went out of business. I did not go out of business. Agape did not go out of business. We survived on through another three years 
until the owner passed away, and I added an S to keep the name Agape going. But we survived that mortgage crisis, and one good thing that HUD did was they created what's called lender-paid compensation. So no longer does the homeowner, whether they're refinancing or buying a home, the homeowner doesn't have to pay that 1% or 2% fee to the mortgage broker. The lender buys the loan for a 1% or 2%, which is based upon the future interest of about six months, not based upon rate, but based upon the loan amount. So like a $100,000 loan, the wholesale bank might pay the broker 2% out of that future interest, and not uh, charge the homeowner. So it's a good thing that HUD came up with as a creative solution to stop equity stripping in 2008. So you've done this for a long time, haven't you, George? Yes, 30 years now. I have no complaints filed against my comp- my company, and that's a very honorable, thank, thank the Lord, um, testimony for serving people carefully. Well, congratulations on that. So let's turn back the clock a little and find out a little bit more about George Elliott. So where did you grow up in the first place, George? I grew up in Port Huron, Michigan, the son of a funeral director, lived upstairs in, in the funeral home with my father and my other two siblings back in Port Huron, Michigan. That's 60 miles north of Detroit. And my mother was a school teacher, and we attended a First Baptist Church. Although my dad was not a Christian, my mother was kind of nominal, but my grandmother pounded, the, pounded heaven's gates for all of her grandchildren, and she's the reason why I'm alive and living today, my, my mother's mother. I love that word of encouragement, George, because it's a good reminder that all of us undoubtedly have loved ones that are making decisions that we disagree with. Did you know that there's a Grandparents' Day? I've heard about that. Grandparents' Day is 9-11. That's the day my oldest daughter was born, in 9-11. So sometimes the darkest day in our American history can be the best because that's Grandparents' Day. And my grandmother was the one that prayed me into the kingdom of God. and She never saw me turn. She only saw it from heaven after she died. I love that. And I also love the fact that you mentioned that your dad was not a believer, but that your mom was. So they made it work out between them. I mean, the Bible tells us that if you are married to a non-believer, to stick with them unless there are biblical principles negating it. I learned a lot from my dad. He taught me not to complain. He took me outside after I complained at a family dinner one time, and he said, does your grandmother complain? I said, no. Does your mother complain? No. Have you ever heard me complain? No. He says, you don't complain. He says, complainers die in the wilderness. They never fulfill the call of God. Wait, your dad told you this? He told me that just after I prayed on my knees for one full year and did everything he told me to do at the age of 16 in 1966, I heard a message on how to have harmony in the home, do three things, go home and do whatever your parents ask you to do for one year, get on your knees and pray for him for one year, and read your Bible every day. And then nine months later, my dad was asked to do communion at the Baptist church, and he didn't. He wasn't even saved. He went and listened to the other deacon the month before, and he got mad in his office at the funeral home downstairs, and he pounded the desk, and he said, that deacon did it wrong. He said, he had first the, the blood and then the body. He said, that's wrong. It's first the body of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, and then the blood. He, and then he preached himself into salvation, and God answered my prayer to have harmony at home. And that is how God turned my father's heart toward me and back to God. And that's the heart of Jesus Christ and from Malachi and the father's heart to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. And God did it through, through the pattern that was given to me. So in your case, you were 16 at this point. I was. I wonder how many fellow believers, George, want to believe, but forgive us for our disbelief, because it's tough to pray for things sometimes when you don't see the fruition of any progress. Lack of uh, persistence. I prayed on my knees every single night for my father, my father's salvation. And while I was on my knees, I also prayed for a friend in Vietnam who was a tail gunner. 
every night on my knees and I recited his his officer number RA one six nine four four seven four four five eight three. I recited his number every night on my knees. He wrote me a letter. He said, George, I've been shot down eleven times, but the bullets have skipped the door. And he came home, not in the box, but walked into our funeral home instead of being carried in. My dad was dumbfounded. He said, George, you have more faith than I did. Jack came home alive. Wow. So persistent prayer. If the if you have a father and you're listening or you're a grandfather or you're a, you're a student and you're here, well, I can't show love to my father. Here's the key. If you don't like your father, he's done terrible things, show him the love that you want him to show you, and that'll turn his heart. In a sense, model that which you'd like to see. Right. If you, if you, you can't honor your father in the Lord the way you, he th- you think he should, then show him the love that you want to receive, and God will turn his heart. So your mom was a strong believer. You were a regular churchgoer, George. But when did you own your own faith? Well, it began when I was 16. I had a dream. I was crawling upside down in heaven. I crawled over these three, four letters, E-C-C-L-E. I was crawling upside down in heaven, and I didn't know what it meant. And the next morning, I looked it up, E-C-C-L-E, the Ecclesiastes of the Preacher, and I threw my Bible about 20 feet across the room. I said, never. But God called me to preach, but I, I ran from it for Quite a long time until 1969, I, on the day man landed on the moon, I fell asleep at the wheel and landed in a ditch. And I ran up to the highway, and there was no streetlights running down the highway, and the Lord said, you're running. So I dropped out of the, the uh, St. Clark County Community College, and I looked for a Christian, or I'd have thought a Christian university that was offering religion. I enrolled in Western Michigan University, but unfortunately it got me nowhere. And I was brokenhearted with long hair and a beard, smoking a cigarette at a Baptist camp. Crushed my last cigarette on the street. I said, God, I want your best. I'm tired of second best. I heard an audible voice. George, George, stop everything you're doing. Go to Oregon. I had no relatives here. I'd never been here, but it was an audible voice to calling me to go to Oregon. So I prayed for direction. God, through a dream and a vision, led me to the very building that I had dreamt about four years before. That's wild, George. It is. <laughs> so just to clarify this for me, you had absolutely no contacts or ties to Oregon before you got this vision, this word to move out to Oregon? None such, none whatsoever, except for a dream that I had when I was 18. It was a three-color vision with a white cross in the ceiling, a man with a green suit on a platform. And then four years later, I walked into that building and saw the white cross in the ceiling, 2,500 miles from Michigan to Oregon, led to the very building I had seen in a dream four years before. That's a grandmother's prayer. (laughs) That's amazing, George. So how did you make it from Michigan to Oregon? When I came home from the Baptist camp, when I heard the audible voice, I said, God, if you really want me to go to Oregon, you're going to have to guide me. And I went over, I called up a friend who I had prayed while at the Baptist camp. I said, Lord, if you're really real and can talk like that, you need to save Mike Burgess because his girlfriend's dying of cancer. And as I pointed to my watch, I said, it's 830 Wednesday night. You need to save him right now. If you could save him right now, I've been witnessing to him then I'll believe you're really real and you can talk. I came home and I called him up four days later, and he said, George, guess what? I gave my life to Jesus Christ. He said, when? Wednesday night about 8.30. I said, who did that? He gave me the guy's name, Bruce Maiden. I went over to Bruce's house. I had not seen Bruce in eight years since high school. I said, Bruce, did you introduce Mike Burgess to Jesus Christ? He said, yes. He said, then the next words out of his mouth, he said, are you looking for a Bible school to go to? There's one in Portland, Oregon. So I was through Bruce having gone through Portland and through uh, Bible Temple, it's now Manor House, God led me through Bruce to find the very building that I had seen in a dream four years before. That's wild. So when you first walked into that building, did you just flip or what? I was. It was like a two-minute deja vu. And uh, I don't know if you have a deja vu. You ever had a deja vu? 
On a rare occasion, yeah. Yeah, well, it was a two-minute deja, deja vu, and I went out and I knelt down in the little kid's room. I was so overpowered. I knelt down on my knees and said, God, I need to distinguish between your voice and my conscience. I've got to know the difference. He said this, go back in the sanctuary and listen to the sons of God. It was Dick Iverson and a lot of other leaders. Go back in the sanctuary and listen to the sons of God and what they're telling you, for there is your dream come true. He was telling me the dream I had when I was 18 was actually I was actually experiencing when I was 21. That was 1971. So that's how I was led to Portland, Oregon. Wow. Just wow. So where did you get educated to land as the owner of Agape Mortgages today? Where did most of your experience come from? Well, I, although I did go to St. Clair County Community College and Western Michigan University, most of my education was on the job, starting back with a company called Home Lending, which is no longer in business. I worked there for a couple of years before till that company went out of business. Then I looked for a Christian company in 1993, and I was became acquainted with the wonderful, gentle, humble man named Bill McInerney, who is now in heaven. And he and I, he trained me in um, in the loan business from about 1993. I was his general manager up until uh, till about 2011, when the Agape Home Mortgage went out of business in 2011. And later, he he passed away. So it was on the job training, really. So, what differences have you seen between working at a more secular company versus at a Christian company? Well, technically, um, I never worked at really. A, I did work at a secular company, but. The company that I did work for in the very beginning, they were doing something evil. They were holding back appraisers' money. And when that company went out of business, they went out of business owing appraisers a half a million dollars. It was terrible. But working for Bill, Bill was a very gentle man, a very gentle person. And the scripture says, your gentleness has made me great. There's not only being having a servant's heart is to great, but the second kind of a secret key to greatness is gentleness. And I'm still trying to model that because my dad was a World War II vet and kind of kind of harsh with me. But uh, so I carry a little bit of that harshness sometime when I communicate. I'm trying to still trying to get rid of it. My dad also fought in World War II. He was in the U.S. Navy, and it changed him, and not all for the better. So we were never allowed to watch any war movies, for instance, wow. because he felt they glorified war. And he opened up just a little bit once, and then he cut himself off. And I'm not going to hear the rest of that story till I get to heaven someday. Mm. But God bless all of the listeners who have served in the armed forces, keeping our country safer, and and to the families that have also suffered alongside them to some degree. But there's something about a military dad that is a lot more prone in my experience to relegate things and keep order. And that's not always a bad thing. My dad learned a lot from his time in the Army. His, he became acquainted with a personal friend of Stuart Spencer. He was the, Stuart Spencer was what Air Force One pilot. We heard great stories about all the presidents from the time I was a little boy all the way through. Stories you'd never heard about the presidents. It's very fascinating stories. But it was a great privilege to be raised in a wonderful home with my mom and dad. Great stories from the owner of Agape Mortgages, George Elliott. Check out the website agapemortgages.com. And you can give them a call at 971-219-LOAN. That's 971-219-5626. More with George Elliott of Agape Mortgages next on Difference Makers.
Welcome back to Difference Makers. I'm Mike Lee with the owner of Agape Mortgages, George Elliott, available at 971-219-LOAN. That's 971-219-5626. And check out the website, agapemortgages.com. George, I love how you were sharing about how God gave you an audible message to move from Michigan to Oregon, where you learned firsthand all about mortgages. So can you tell us about Bill McInerney and what role he played in your life as a leader, boss, but also as a mentor, and what you've taken when it comes to mentoring others? Bill McInerney was probably the best listener and the most gentle person that I've ever worked for. Bill uh, just had a way of kindness, and you know we know that the Scripture says kindness is a result of the Holy Spirit. Bill modeled kindness and gentleness to me, and I think that's probably one of the most overlooked keys to business. Uh, you probably will agree, Mike, maybe you're not, but I think kindness and gentleness in business is probably the most important key to success. He modeled that to me, which was not modeled for my father. My father was a disciplinarian. He didn't speak much, but when he did speak as, a, as an ex-soldier, I got the message real quick. <laughs> but Bill modeled uh, careful listenership. Without listening skills, I think every business is doomed. So as a brother in Christ, George, how do you balance speaking truth in love? Well, I had to confront a former employee or a former employer one time about a problem in his life, and I didn't have the courage to do it. And the Lord revealed to me, he said, the reason why you don't have enough courage to go to your, this is a different company, you don't have enough courage to go to him is because you don't have enough love. And I said, how am I supposed to get that? He said, get on your knees and ask me to give you the love that you need. So I did. I said, God, give me the love that I need for so-and-so. And then he did, and then I confronted him about the problem, and the, and the employer said, God revealed to me that you were going to come to me and, and say this. He said, so I'm going to try to change. So the reason why communication breaks down, breakdown in communication with business is one of the reasons that I've used in my family is never to use the word apologize. Instead, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? There has to be first the attitude, I'm sorry, then the issue, I was wrong, and then the relationship, Will you forgive me? I've used this in my family, and I try to use it in their business. It is the most overlooked key to restoring relationships, both horizontally and vertically with the Lord, not just to say, I apologize. Apologize is like sweeping the dirt under the carpet, and it causes what I would term Christian divorces, using the word apologize. It seems often, from little kids on up to adults, that I'm sorry is the magic word to say to stop the conversation and move forward. Yeah, I think— I think it's key not to use the word apologize because it just, just doesn't get anywhere. I'm sorry. It's the hardest thing for any male American to say is, I'm sorry I was wrong. They stutter at it. <laughs> but it is uh, it's something that I try to model. I remember I spanked one of my daughters wrongfully. I forget which one it was. And then I found out later it was the other daughter. And she knelt down in front of me, and I just wept and wept. And today, I think she's 45, she said, Dad, I still remember you weeping and asking for forgiveness and saying, I'm sorry, so-and-so. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And that modeled to her the father's heart of humbling. And so that's how she raises her children, which are my grandchildren, saying, I'm sorry, I I did this. I was wrong in spanking you when I should have spanked so-and-so. Will you forgive me? And um, I did that one time with my daughters. I forced them to go hug each other. They hugged each other like cold fish. But they're close close today regardless of it. You think, why? if I don't feel it, I can't forgive. You have to obey They've command to forgive, not based on feeling. You seem like a loving, gentle, and proud 
husband and father and grandfather. So by all means, please boast on your family. I could be glad to boast about my family without <clears throat> choking up. My my wife's uh, grandmother married the grandson of William Booth, and my wife's my wife's parents were missionaries to Indonesia, sent from a church on thirtieth, thirty third, and Sandy, which was called then Emmanuel Temple. The pastor of that church was William William Booth Cliburn, the grandson of William Booth. They laid hands on my wife's parents, sent them to an unreached people group, the Dayaks in Indonesia. They started a church there, and a missionary group came and warned them and says, if you don't leave now, leave this church and this people, come now, this church you've started, you're going to be captured by the Japanese. And they said, our hearts are here with this people. We haven't baptized them yet. We're going to have to stay with this people. They were captured and tortured by the Japanese. If you want to hear their life, their three-and-a-half-year story, it's on Amazon in imperial custody. It's on Amazon. My, my father-in-law's life story, not life story, but his story of the three-and-a-half years in the prison camp is on Amazon in imperial custody. He would later be, went on to be the director of World Relief for Indonesia, and then after that, he was the world he was the World Relief director for all of Asia. So I learned a lot of things from my father. Like I said, Dad, you should write down the ten things you learned from the prison camp. He did. I have those ten things to, to learn from a prison camp. So rich heritage from my wife's side. My oldest daughter Tisha and her husband were the, the founders of a church in Vancouver called Bethesda Church Northwest. Bethesda Church Northwest. It's a non-denominational, spirit-filled church that they founded under the leadership of the Lord about eight years ago. Uh, we now have our own building located over on uh, next to New Hope on Andreessen Road, and we have just announced that we're founding, re- reinstituting uh, Northwest Intercessors Conference. Have you heard of the Northwest Intercessors Conference? Ever heard that? Tell me about that. Northwest Intercessors Conference was began several years ago, and it was operated through a church which was then called um, City Bible Church, and now it's called Manor House. Uh, but we picked up that mantle, and we're going to re-sponsor the Northwest Intercessors Conference being being held at the end of July of this year. And if you want information, you go to Bethesda Church Northwest, and you can find out about it. So that's I'm kind of bragging on my daughter, like you asked me to do. My other daughter, they are they pastor her and her husband Asim A S I M. Her and her husband are they're they're campus pastors of Manor House downtown. And they, they were pastors also. So I have two daughters that are pastors, and I'm a very proud father of my son Joshua. He is a director, a director for NBC News Internet Advertising in Los Angeles. Wow. So those are my three kids. So where did you meet your wife, George Elliott? I'm curious. I met my wife on the sidewalk behind Bible Temple on 76th and Gleason in 1971. She went through Bible school the same time I did. And uh, after finishing Bible school, we uh, we took a short-term pastorate and started a little Bible college in Jamaica. We had a six-month assignment. So our first church was all black in the middle of the jungle. We had hogs, took care of hogs, and started a little school there. And our six months was up, and we came home. That was in 1975-76. We took Tisha at two years old with no hot water running uh, in no in that village, in the, right in the middle. The place of the village is called Time and Patience in the middle of Jamaica. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think these diverse experiences – Helped your kids grow up a little more than the average kid growing up in the Pacific Northwest? It gave them a heart for the lost, the lonely, and the brokenhearted. We had in our home in Michigan, when we pioneered our churches in Michigan in 1980, we always had an indigent or a straggler that was coming, being dropped off at our door to house them. Usually down in our basement, we had somebody homeless living downstairs, and it gave them a heart for, for brokenhearted people. I remember one Christmas morning, Dad, we'll never forget when you had the drunks sitting at the end of the table on Christmas morning. 
So it, I think it uh, it taught them to be um, to be shepherds, all to be shepherds. My son was guarding a stranger at a fiftieth um, uh, wedding anniversary over there on Sandy Boulevard at that Emmanuel Temple. He was shepherding this straggler, guiding him right out to outside and taking care of him. He has a shepherd's heart too. Oh, I love it. So, do you have any good? marriage or parenting or grandparenting tips for us as someone who i see is successful both in business and in your walk with the lord well i don't deem myself successful i'm still being seeking out for why i'm apprehended i'm working on a few books right now but i guess the things that i have learned i've I've learned from dick iverson a humble shepherd's heart never think more of yourself than you ought i learned from uh leonard fox the the seek one of the secrets of hearing the lord's voice which is praying with all, and my father also, praying with all of your heart and your heavenly language, and then shutting up after six or seven seconds and listening with all your heart. I tried that years ago. My dad was the one that told me to do it, and I said, it didn't work. I was out on the ladder. I said, I prayed in tongues for six or eight seconds. I didn't hear anything. He said, I can tell you why you didn't hear anything. So why is that, Dad? Because you weren't doing it with all your heart. I said, chapter and verse. He said this, the Bible says, when you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found of you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. And God began to reveal to me the secrets of men's hearts beginning back in 1972. And that particular method, I could say, which 1 Corinthians 14 elaborates and backs, if anyone pray in an unknown tongue, let him pray that he may interpret. It doesn't. And I said, Dad, that's for the sanctuary. He said with his World War II voice, you mean it doesn't work in the lobby? I said, okay, Dad, okay. (laughs) So I, I obeyed my father, and it began to open up the supernatural in a way that I had not thought of. I didn't learn at Bible school, but he learned it through Kenneth Hagin's school. And it, to me, that's uh, one of the keys of listening for to, and to the Holy Spirit's voice who lives within us, is shutting off everything to, and doing it with all of our heart and letting the heavenly language kind of wipe the chalkboard of our thinking so that God potentially can write what he wants to say on our minds and then uh, coming up from our spirit to our minds and then to our mouth. So how do we do that nowadays? In one sense, there's nothing new under the sun, George Eliot. But in another sense, there certainly are a lot more distractions today than I had in the 70s and 80s growing up. Fasting helps. I haven't fasted in quite a while. I probably should. But um, the best way to hear from the Lord's voice is a three days of fasting and prayer. Um, that's one of the methods that's in the Scripture. Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. And when I know when I fast to go to a meeting or a church service or minister in a different church, I go to a number of churches in the Northwest to minister. To hear the Lord's voice, it helps me to pray and fast a few days ahead of time. That's not the only way, but I think it does help us. So visiting as many ministries as you do in the Pacific Northwest, who stands out in your mind? Who do you like to see? Who have you met more recently that you were very impressed by, for instance? One of the people is in my pastor's group. I have a pastor's group every Wednesday, first Wednesday of the month at Elmer's Restaurant on Sandy Boulevard. Paul Pitoy is one of the people that I admire very highly. I would call him an apostle. He has founded churches in Indonesia, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Toronto, a number of places around the country. Paul Pitoy is an Indonesian preacher. I, I just highly respect him and receive from his, his pattern. He had diabetes, and his wife is a nurse, and his wife told him how to eat himself out of diabetes, and he did. He ate himself out of diabetes, and he's in my pastor's group. That's pretty rare, isn't it? It is. I have heard of another man, uh, David Fife, a friend of mine. He ate himself out of diabetes also through, through diet. Have you heard of that before? 
No, that's very rare. So good for them. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things we talked about at our pastor's breakfast is eight reasons why Christians die before their time. I don't think you want to hear all those, but I, I know all of them. It's oh, not a very good do. Not, please really. do. So these are the eight reasons Christians die before their time? Right. Eight reasons why Christians die before their time. Well, I think just off the top of my head, Ananias is the fire. We know that one where they lied to the Holy Spirit. The they, deacons carried him out. That's one of them. Another one is taking communion wrongfully. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, if any man eat or drink unlawful, unlawfully, or un, un, they not destroying the Lord's body, for this cause, many of you are weak and many die before their time. They eat and drink damnation to themselves. If someone drinks the, like the body of the Lord and the cup of the Lord, wrongfully with unforgiveness, it's going to naturally uh, harbor, who harbors bitterness or resentment, it's going to eat away. Then this is confirmed by science. There's textbooks that confirm it. None of these diseases is a great book. A More Excellent Way is another good book. All these scientific facts are confirm what the Corinthians told us centuries ago, that when you drink, the, drink something or eat something with unforgiveness, it's going to eat away at your body and, and they're going to die a premature death. So that's a second one. I think another one is uh, I would call... Um, wrongful martyrdom I, I can tell i wouldn't tell three stories here but martyrs that died before their time because they either picked a fight that god didn't want them to fight or they went to the wrong place at the wrong time at the wrong season in the name of the gospel where they shouldn't have been there they did work listening to god's voice and they died before their time as a quote martyr unquote question mark i don't know if the lord terms it a martyr or not that's none of my business but they have i'm left with the question are there christian christian martyrs who died before their time because they did it in the wrong way at the wrong time in the wrong place and they were fighting their own battle not god's battle and there's other ones too but we don't know well, about that we're human so as flawed beings i think there are certainly times i can remember where i may have said or at the time thought i was doing something for god whereas the reality was i was doing it for myself and trying to navigate well What's God's call versus my personal desire? Sometimes that's difficult for me to figure out. The most successful mission trips, I believe, are birthed by God, God taking the initiative, and the Christian following the leading of the Lord rather than by admission, following the leading of the Lord and going going about it with about 16 intercessors. I learned from the Holy Spirit in the year 1999, I was picking up my paper on my front porch, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, George, you're not to return to Asia without a quaternion of prayer. So what? I said, that's not in the Bible. I looked it up. It is. I was shocked. Acts chapter 12, verse 4. They took Peter, put him in prison, and they assigned four quaternions of soldiers to guard his body, lest the same thing happen to him that happened to Jesus. I don't want to describe a quaternion. You can research it, but the quaternion was like the martial art top Roman soldiers, one facing east, one north, south, east, and west. And they rotated every three hours. So there were 16 of them. And when the Lord said not to go to Asia without a quaternion of prayer, he meant 16 intercessors. So before I went to Asia the second time, I assigned 16 intercessors to pray for me. I was headed to a headhunter tribe and scared half to death. I didn't know, God, you really want me to go to this headhunter tribe? I'm, it's Y2K. My computer's going to crash. Then I go to the top of Rocky Butte, and I say, do you want me to go on this trip? And here's the voice I heard. I look down. There's money on the ground. And I heard a voice. There's 49 cents on the ground, George. Pick it up. This is the last year of your life. What? I, I said, that's not true. So I picked up these coins on the ground on top of Rocky Butte by my home. I counted 48, 47, 48. There was 49 cents. And I was going to headhunter tribe. I went home to my bedroom. I said, what do you think about all this, Lord? He said, no man who's, every man who seeks to save his life will lose it, 
But he who seeks to lose his life for my sake and the kingdom will find it. I said, put me on the plane. I'm out of here. Then I knew the devil was coming. It was on that trip that I had the privilege and honor through a four-hour conversation of leading a third-generation satanic witch doctor who had human teeth sewn in his arm, leading him to divine healing and led him to Jesus Christ. He was saved and born again. That would not have happened without the 16 intercessors. And my, my life could have been in jeopardy, maybe through airline or whatever, but there's the air cover that we need for a successful missionary trip that God initiated. Great stories from the owner of Agape Mortgages. Check out the website, agapemortgages.com. And you can call George Elliott at 971-219-LOAN. That's area code 971-219-5626. More with George Elliott next on Difference Makers. You're listening to Difference Makers, and George Elliott is the owner of Agape Mortgages and a longtime friend of our stations. AgapeMortgages.com is the website, and they've got a cute phone number, easy to remember, at area code 971-219-LOAN, 971-219-5626. So, George, what have you seen in the Pacific Northwest, and who have you helped out personally when it comes to the mortgage industry? Recently, I was sent a customer by a key bank friend of mine that works at KeyBank. She's a teller there and a financial advisor. She sent me a lady that had, a, her name was Roberta. She had 11.4% interest rate, lived in Northeast Portland. Her husband was dying in her home. She was taking care of her husband in a very large home. All she had was a wood stove. And I started working with her four years ago, and she didn't she didn't qualify for a regular mortgage because of the low income. She didn't qualify for a reverse mortgage because she didn't have enough equity. But finally, four years later, she had enough equity to qualify for what's called a reverse mortgage, which I also call an actuarial mortgage plan in the form of a housing annuity. I want to repeat that. An actuarial mortgage plan in the form of a housing annuity. And what I did was got her into a reverse mortgage, which got her... Around, I think it was around um, $29,000 to put a heating system in so she no longer had to have her daughters feed the wood stove. And she could run the furnace now from her phone and got her, got her roof cleaned, new gutters, uh, all, her, all the pests and dry rot t- taken care of, dry rot outside the house, got her out of the house payment so she won't lose her home. And she's going to be able to stay there for the rest of her life. And that was a great success story. Um, when when she got that, she's so excited to get out of the eleven point four percent rate, get a much lower rate, get out of the house payment, get the repairs she needed, and get a, a furnace in her home. Now, this is not my field of expertise, but isn't me or is eleven percent plus ridiculously high? It is. She was given a regular mortgage years ago by some quack that sold her a adjustable mortgage on her home years ago, and it went up to eleven point four percent rate and. Uh, was her payment was thirty five hundred dollars a month and her income was about thirty five hundred dollars. So she was in trouble. So doing the math, if your income is a hundred percent taken up by your mortgage, you've got the wrong mortgage or the wrong income. Her daughters were working at McDonald's and scrambling to put wood in the stove and take care of her mother that way to help out with the finances. So was this a huge challenge for you or did you walk in knowing, oh well you need to be doing A, B, C, D, and E and we're done? No, it took it took a long time. I had to wait till the house had enough value 
But after four years, she finally had enough value so we could do it. And I closed the loan about two months ago after working with this lady for four years. Well, congratulations. So that is a great success story, George. I've got another one I'm working on right now. It's fascinating. Oh? You say, why would someone want a reverse mortgage or a mortgage, which is an actuarial mortgage plan in the form of a housing annuity? I handed out a book to a men's meeting. I spoke at a men's meeting in Newburgh recently, and I said I brought a couple of extra books with you. I'd be glad to give one to any listener that wants a copy of a book to give them knowledge on reverse mortgages. I'd be glad to mail, mail them one if they call in. He read the book. He says, I can't stop reading this book. I said, why? He says, I'm on vacation. I read the whole book, and I said, I want a reverse mortgage. I said, why do you want one? He said, well, I want one to get out of the house payment. Even though I make $5,500 a month, I want a reverse mortgage to get out of the house payment, get $38,000 to do the repairs that my wife has wanted to get me done for over a decade, and to take my grown kids and my grandkids on a paid family vacation for the rest of my life to take them to pay for the whole thing for a family vacation with my children and grandchildren for the rest of my life. So basically what he was saying was I want to spend my equity in my home like an annuity and take my kids and grown kids on a family vacation for the rest of his life and spend the equity that way. And he said, uh, he said, that's why I want it. And I said, that's, that's really amazing that you want to do that. That should be commendable. So, and he said, plus, he says, isn't if I take my pension money – Although I'm not a tax consultant, I did check this out. The pension money that he gets monthly is taxable. But if he pays his new reverse mortgage and pays the payment on it once a year or monthly, that pension becomes tax deductible. And so he's actually going to leave more to his children by using the balance low and use his money for other things. He could actually leave more to his children than if he had the regular mortgage. My dad's company had a slogan. It was, Work smarter, not harder. So it certainly seems that you and the good people at Agape Mortgages are good at figuring out how we can use our finances and our homes to live the lives we really want to and not get stuck in a hole. So my question for you, George Elliott, owner of Agape Mortgages, is who's best off considering having a conversation about reverse mortgages and who shouldn't even bother? Anybody that's uh, 62 years of older is, is in the category of applying for a reverse mortgage. And one simple formula that I uh, came up with years ago, take the youngest person's age minus 15 is the ballpark loan to value on a reverse mortgage. A gentleman called me just the other day and his loan, to, he could only get 40% loan to value and he was only 62 years old. So it wasn't going to work. I had to call and tell him, unfortunately, it's not going to work for you. And there's built in built-in protections for people taking them out. They cannot take out all the money the first year. There's only a base upon the actuarial table, the age of the youngest person living in the home and how long they're going to live based upon what they owe on the home. There's a cap on basically how much the, the, the senior can take out the first year. The second year, there's a line of credit. Basically, HUD instituted that so that people don't squander their equity and waste it. So that's, for example, someone that is 62 can only take out about 40, 45% of their equity. All the rest of it is trapped and and is not, not allowed to be taken out. So there is a safety valve. Like a hot water heater has a pipe that goes off the top down to the ground. It's a safety valve. There's safety valves built in now to reverse mortgages so that the, the equity is not all squandered quickly. So do you have any other local success stories that you like to share about people being able to use the services provided by Agape Mortgages to live better lives or do that home improvement project or redo the backyard or take that big trip with the family. 
My processor, Marie, Marie, she lives up in northern Washington. She called me in desperation. She said, George, my aunt is in trouble. She said, you're the only person I know how to get credit scores up through x-ray technology through this program, through the system you use, been using. I said, got her name. I dialed into her credit report. I created a rapid rescore analysis within minutes, gave her the assignment. But I, could, I struggled and struggled, and I finally prayed. I said, God, this is not working. There's no way to get this lady's scores up. And she had bought a home on a contract, and she had to pay this off by the end of January. This is a few years ago. And two other mortgage companies dropped the ball. So she was going to lose about $100,000 of equity in the home because she, she brought on a contract. And she's going to lose that equity plus she's going to lose the $50,000 that she'd put down on the home. She's potentially going to lose $150,000. My processor called me. you got to help her. I prayed. I said, God, I've done the rapid rescore analysis through x-ray technology into her own credit report, paying down this card, paying off this, and there's no way to do it. So I called my agency, the one we use, the credit agency we use, and they said, why don't you go into x-ray technology and I'll show you something. We added a credit card, Mike. We added a credit card with a $500 balance. I went in, so ABC credit card, $500 balance with a $10 payment, and it tumbled around holding my breath, and, and the scores went up. I told her aunt, I said, go get a credit card for $500, charge $10 on it, and get me the proof. We did that. I drove all the way north through to Puget Sound, took two ferries over to the closing. It was nine degrees out, nine degrees outside. She was, I have it on our website, so I have her weeping and crying. George, you saved us $150,000. We would have lost $150,000. She was crying at the, at the closing table, paying off the, that mortgage. What I love about you, George, is, not only are you very experienced in the mortgage field, but it always seems like your stories lead with you praying to God, God help me figure this out. And he's honored that request. And I think about this woman that you drove all this way to see that you were able to save by simply helping her credit rating out. So is there misinformation and are there stereotypes about credit reports that you could clarify for us? One of the wrong stereotypes is you can't have an inquiry. I'm just going to drag your scores down. That's one of the one of the misnomers that people think. I don't want to inquire for credit. Another one is there's false teaching by a well known. I won't name. I would careful never name the person that teaches this. But you have to have twenty percent down to buy a home. And uh, that man teaches some university on how to buy a home. He's well known. But two people that I know personally. One nurse, a Filipino nurse. She saved up twenty percent to buy a home when she heard that counsel four or five years ago. The house cost then, four or five years, the house costed then about 185000 So she, instead of buying the home then, when I recommended to buy it now with 3% down, and she saved up 20%. She bought a home like that for 480000 four years later. So she lost $300,000 because of that wrong financial advice that is popularized all through America. All through America thinking, I have to have 20% based upon this university teaching on their TV. So that's one of the wrong things that people have about buying a home, that they have to have 20% down. It's not completely wrong. Interesting. So are the, They, they lost $300,000 of equity. So are there things that the average person can do to help their credit report? Yes. They can call me and get counsel that way. They can also keep their credit cards below 30% loan to limit. So if you have a $10,000 credit card, keep it no more than $3,000. Some people uh, do that, but they need to have four of them, four different credit cards or a car loan or a gas card, and keep the balance at 30%. If you have a five and you don't want to have any credit at all, that's going to hurt you. But I'm able to close loans with no credit scores. 
And I posted something. There's a website called Brokers Are Better, and I posted on there. I was I said, good Monday. We have a new great news. I've got a loan pre-approved with no credit scores and all these other 9,500 mortgage brokers across. How did you do this? And I said, you're old. I wrongfully, I said, well, you're trained. I that trains you should have taught you that. And I had to apologize later and ask for forgiveness, being kind of cocky to say, you know, your, your owner should have trained you that. And I asked for it. I'm sorry. So here's how I did it. And I got three or four trade lines from their gas company, electrical. So there is the way to close and buy a, buy a home with no credit scores. I, I'm able to do that. It takes a little bit more time, but somebody is also teaching that that you don't have to have credit scores to buy a home. You don't, but it's going to make it a lot harder and the interest rate could be a bump tick higher unnecessarily. So I remember my beloved uncle Eddie worked for the government decades, never married, never had kids responsible, but he paid everything in cash. So after he retired, he wanted to buy himself a condo and he had to jump through so many hoops because he had zero credit history. Yes. So you do want to have credit history and keep your credit card limits uh, below. You can have them, but pay them off. Pay them off every month and save you money that way. You do want to have a, if you don't want to lock yourself out of the arena of credit, and people do that by not having any credit like your uncle. So it's good that he got it done anyway. I think that deep down inside, we know our habits. Some of us are good at working out four times a week. Others of us need that nudge or that coach or that accountability partner. So similarly, when it comes to credit cards, if you can pay off your credit by the end of every month and pay zero interest, good for you. So whether it's perhaps first-time home buyers or people who've lived in their homes for decades, as a man of faith, do you have any good words of encouragement? Even though in this economy, which is upside down, uh, and I've watched the gas pump uh, prices go up right corresponding with interest rates. Interest rates right now on 30-year mortgages are 5.625 or above. That's right what I'm seeing at the gas pumps. Uh, but the encouraging word is God is on your side. He's never out to defeat you. He's not out to squelch you or discourage you. If you're wanting to buy a home and you don't qualify, just follow the steps for home ownership. Get good credit. Stay on the job. Don't be, keep job flipping or changing companies. Try to stay on your job for two years. If you have a degree from a college or a university, that suffices. If you have a diploma, that suffices of the two-year job history. A lot of people don't know that. I've closed loans where graduates of in the doctors or whatever, um, nursing school, was long, or teachers, they get their diploma from graduation, and we've actually originated the loan, got the appraisal done, and we funded the loan based upon their first pay stub. So that's some things that a lot of people might not know. So keep your credit good, stay on the job, and um, – there is the three. We have a three percent first-time home buyer, and we also have a more difficult loan, zero down. It's a combo purchase. I did it for my one of my daughters, zero down purchase, where it's a combo loan, but you still have to have money for the earnest money, for the appraisal and so forth. You're going to need at least a twenty five hundred dollars to get into a home, even on a zero down, because there's three parts of buying a home: Roman numeral one, two, and three. Roman numeral one is the down payment. Roman numeral two, the closing cost. Roman numeral three, the prepaid. You add those three together, you come up with cash to close. Great times with the owner of Agape Mortgages, George Elliott. And George, thanks so much for sharing your expertise and your experience and your faith with us. So on the way out, is there anyone you want to say hi to or send a shout out to? I want to say hi to all the people at Bethesda Church Northwest, that church where I attend with my daughter and my other church I go to, Manor House downtown campus, Asima Lisa Trent, and to my son Joshua Elliott, very proud of him down in California. And uh, I'd like to everybody to encourage to come to the Northwest Intercessors Conference. You can check out the details at Bethesda Church Northwest on their website. I'll make sure to add that link to the Difference Makers page at truetalk800.com. 
Check out the website, agapemortgages.com, and you can give them a call at area code 971-219-LOAN. That's 971-219-5626. Thank you so much, owner of Agape Mortgages, George Elliott. Thank you, Mike, very much. It's been an honor to be with you. You as well. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Difference Makers. Mm-hmm.